Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town, toddling town, Chicago, Chicago, I'll show you around. Speak of Chicago. The corner with our magic, our music, our politics. Fires raised as tribal dancers and war cries broke out of different quarters. How to the people? Greetings, Chicago. Welcome back to another episode of the Chicago Sunnyside Podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Kazabez Makma. And I'm Jesarita Tabasa. And uh, we have a great episode for you today. I hope you're ready. We uh, we, ju- we just got done talking to uh, M1, a.k.a. Mutulu Olugbala of the dead prez hip-hop group uh you may or may not have heard of dead prez i'm finding out that people don't know about dead prez and i'm shocked uh (laughs) because for me they're like that's like the soundtrack of my life i swear man i wanted to tell him this but i didn't (laughs) (laughs) i was like man getting the interview these brothers i mean we only talked to the one of them i you know wish we could have got them both on but one was good shoot um for sure and uh it like interviewing him was like interviewing mj or something like that that's how much uh influence like impact that that album that they put out that let's get free album that came out in 2000 that's when i turned 18 i mean that that uh that album to come out that time in my life i mean i had just uh a friend of mine had just let me read uh behold a pale horse and uh my (laughs) mind is just (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Wide open. And then he comes out with this album. I'm an African and I know what's happening. And I'm like, who who, Who are you? Where did this come from? Because it's like, I never heard anything like this. I mean, I uh, didn't grow up listening to like the old school hip hop, the KRS and the Rakim and uh, you know, uh, Public Enemy and all this. So you know, this was like my first introduction to a hip hop with a revolutionary spirit like this, and uh, it was it was big for me. You know, they they came out, they they had. I mean, we'll get to the interview in a minute. You know, uh, but we got a couple things to talk about first before we get to that. Uh, first of all. First of all, happy Comedic New Year as of this recording. It is uh, September 13th and uh, the third day of the new year. I'm not going to say Comedic New Year because it's just the year. Just the year. Right. Happy New Year and happy New Year to all of you, our viewers. And um, if you don't know, the sidereal calendar year 423 was just released. Pick your copy up today from one of our locations. And if you don't live near us, you can order one online and we'll ship it right to you. Risingfirefly.org. That's R-I-S-I-N-G. Firefly. Firefly.org. Y'all can spell. I know you can do it. <laughs> um, so, Happy New Year to all you guys. Uh, later in the episode, we're going to be showing some footage from our New Year's celebration in uh, our temple in our temple head I shot in Togo and uh, you know so make sure af- don't just uh, watch for brother M1 watch for him for sure because you know it's a great interview the great conversation we got to have but don't tune out after that because you're gonna miss something 
Um, anyways, uh, nice t-shirt. Revolution uh, starts with the self. If you can't read it on your screen, if you get there, you go. Revolution starts with the self. I wore this t-shirt special today because we were interviewing Dead Prez, and I'm like, okay, my revolutionary brothers. I'm wearing my revolutionary t-shirt. I think uh, it's very fitting. It is very fitting, but then you had to sit on two pillows just so that we can see it on the screen. <laughs> you to say that part. Oh, oh, my bad. I'm not trying to put you on blast. You know, she really shirts y'all. I don't know if y'all seen the the photos on the intro. Whatever. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you know, we need all type of people in this world. We need short people too. If if it wasn't for short people, then you know I wouldn't even be tall. I'd just be regular height. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you know, <laughs> we need all you. We need everybody. But yes, I was really wearing this T-shirt because sticks wrote a book and it was on the five principles and he was talking about his revolutionary um, the movement that we've been all a part of and how uh, people have just kind of as we age we mature into another realm another dimension mm -hmm. of our growth and evolution and I really was looking forward to chatting with him about uh, some of those components. Yeah, I, I'm sorry we couldn't get him on. Uh, there was a little of a communication lapse. And uh, so, yeah, but, you know, it's good. The the I didn't know the brother had wrote a book. I just found this out. And uh, so I'll definitely be looking for that. What, what's the name of the book again? Five Principles. It's the Five Principles. I can't really remember the exact title. Okay, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, revolution begins with the self. So, you know, that's a that's something that we talk about all the time. And, uh, well, let's talk about it for a second. Revolution, because a lot of times we talk about revolution, and when we think about revolution, we mean change in society. But when we talk about revolution beginning with the self, it's really inside that change has to start before we can make things change outside. Exactly, and that's one thing I, I can even say when I came on this path, I was, I could say, just very angry. Um, mm. I had a revolutionary spirit, uh, a lot of momentum in within me wanted to fight because I was felt that the world was not just. I didn't feel that the world treated us fairly and I wanted to make a difference in that regard I wanted to bring balance back to the world through my revolutionary efforts mm -hmm. uh, so I sought out people who had the message of that notion of fighting the system going against the system um, however coming upon this path I understand now that the revolution really begins with myself I can't fight the system I can only change myself and the change has to come within and even that, you know, when I said before I was very angry, now I'm a little angry. <laughs> but, right. So I'm still I'm still working on it. But I do recognize that whole notion is that the society is going to be the society mm. regardless of what you do, no matter right. how large, how loud you bark, scream, stomp your feet, protest, mm. march, cry, mm -hmm. all of these things the world is still going to be the same. The only right. thing you can do is change yourself, change your approach, change your thinking, change your behaviors, and all of those things. That's the revolution that we're really fighting for. I, 
look, I'm totally with you as far as having been angry coming on this path, starting this path of spirituality and coming with so much anger inside. And now, you know, to, to realize that the anger was really more self-destructive than anything. You know, we think that being angry is almost like proof that we care. Care. Yeah. That it's proof that we, you know, really want change. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, wanting change is about doing things that can really realistically make the change. You know, we can want it as badly as we want, but without the techniques of how to make the change, uh, it's not going to happen just because of our emotions being strong as they can be. And that's one thing I admire so much about the Makaru Nebnaba Lamosamori Dinebig, the author of The Philosophy Podium. And I personally did not meet him, but he is just a legend uh, because of that re revolutionary spirit, the wisdoms that he implores. It's just something that captivates people all around the world. Mm -hmm. And I saw in a lecture um, I can remember I was in Montreal and the lecture was in French and I don't speak French so I had to sit next to someone who was just interpreting in my ear mm -hmm. and telling me everything that he was saying and they asked him like well why did you start this organization why did you start the Earth Center and he mm -hmm. said because I was frustrated man and I'm like what the, the man that walks on water for me was frustrated <laughs> it's okay to be frustrated and it's right. just like opened up a whole nother paradigm for me to hear him say like he did something because he was frustrated mm -hmm. but he did something that's so positive mm -hmm. and so elevating and enlightening for society he didn't have to do anything negative or detrimental or as you're stating like hurtful to yourself because mm -hmm. he did it with intelligence he did it with intelligence and that is um again i just look at him and even with more admiration mm -hmm. uh, for the way that he approached that and speaking of revolutionary uh so the name of the book by stickman is uh five principles to a revolutionary path and the name is stickman uh you know what the stickman is yes the on the um the government id like we're really not a real person yeah yeah that's like the like there's you and then there's the corporate entity that represents you when you mm -hmm. see your name in all capital letters on mm -hmm. uh, government documents or bank documents and things like that. That's what they call the stick man. The driver's so, license. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Dead prayers, man. They, Just on something else. On something else. Like, in, before that was even cool. Like, nowadays, everybody's into talking about conspiracy theories and the deep state and, and uh, the Illuminati and all that stuff. You know, you got rappers that openly talking about it and things like that. Shoot, 2000, wasn't nobody talking about Illuminati. You were you were deep in it. Talk about a conspiracy theorist. You were deep in that uh, bucket mm -hmm. in those days talking about things of that nature. So now, now it's like, well, like most conspiracy theories it <laughs> turned out to be true. You know, I'm not going to say most of them because uh, there's some of them that are pretty way out. I mean, I don't know about... The spaceship coming to rescue the people or like you know earth being flat and things of that nature but i digress <laughs> and how often we do but we'll bring it back mm -hmm. uh so um 
that brings me back to uh, our proverb of the day. Uh, if while in the forest you find yourself twice under the same tree, know that you're lost. Hmm. Uh, Can you say that again? If you're walking in the forest and you find yourself under the same tree two times, you're lost. I mean, if you're walking, you're trying to find your way, you're not going to find yourself back in the same place. Absolutely. Now, it's a proverb for finding your way home, but it's also a proverb for um, life. You know, many times we walk paths in life and life is supposed to be about evolution it's supposed to be about learning you're not supposed to have to keep repeating the same lessons you're not supposed to keep having to uh repeat the same scenarios in your life and um when it comes to the revolutionary path and this is something that that really just uh It makes me give me some pause because having walked this way or trying to walk this path for about 20 years now, it's very humbling to be in situations where you feel like you having to start over or you feel like you having to uh, kind of repeat certain things that you think you already accomplished. And uh, it's just a reminder that, hey, um, haven't re reached the mountaintop yet <laughs> so there's still more steps to take and uh, well that's that's how life is life life every time you think you smart every time you think you capable life lets you know how small you are mm -hmm. and uh, you know every time you think you know the way life will let you know hey nah you really don't know as much as you think mm -hmm. and um I think life life is just it just has that for us in general and uh I mean there's even a proverb to say to be lost is to know the way because at least you know the way not to not take to yeah mm -hmm. so it's like well we try to navigate this life step by step and sometimes we find ourselves having to repeat the same steps at least don't go Re having to repeat the same steps or having to go uh, repeat the same things that you had to do before and try to do it the same way because then you're just going to be back under that tree a third time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so many wisdoms within the comedic culture that really just give guidance to just some very fundamental and basic things that you kind of take for granted. That whole notion, if you find yourself under the tree two times, you're lost. It's like, wow, that how profound that is. And what would you do in that circumstance? It's like there are answers to that. So you know you have to take a different route. You know you have to do something differently. You know you have to evolve, to grow, to do something that you didn't do the first time. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you wouldn't have ended up under that same tree. So um, I'm very grateful to, to have those types of wisdoms available yeah but you know the difficult part is human beings we're creatures of habit mm -hmm. so yeah application you know all these proverbs they're wisdoms for us to keep in mind at uh specific situations where we need them but oftentimes 
when we're in the situation where we need it, that's not when it comes to mind. You know, that's the, that's where intelligence comes in is mm-hmm. be able to recall wisdom at the time where you need to use it. But yeah, human beings are creatures of habit. We are we are more likely to do things the same way we did them before than to want to change. It's difficult for us to change our perspective, change our attitudes. And uh, so it's it's like almost like the default thing is to repeat the same mistake. You know, but that's, I guess, part of the beauty of life is like that challenge of having to overcome our own basic nature. You know, it's like uh, part, of, part of what makes things interesting. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> if, I have, if I have to put a positive spin on it, because if we just have to be frustrated by it every time, then, you know, we're just going to be frustrated all the time. <laughs> so... Why not at least put a positive spin and say, hey, you know, it makes things interesting. If not, hey, well, you know, you want things to just be easy, then then that's how we end up getting bored. We already know that. And what, what do you do when you're bored? Get into trouble. Right. <laughs> do something dumb. Do something self-destructive. Or just do nothing. And then it's like, what's really the purpose of consuming resources of this uh, planet? just to be sitting around doing nothing in particular um something to think about well you got any other thoughts no are we gonna move into the yeah we're gonna get into the interview and we'll be right back with mutulu olugbala i hope i said that right uh aka m1 of dead press say it again M1 of Dead Press. Welcome, Brother Mutulu, to the Chicago Sunnyside Podcast. We're happy to have you. We're honored. And, uh, you know, that Dead Press album, the Let's Get Free album, was very, very formative in my, you know, my upbringing and inspiring me and carrying that inspiration forward. So, you know, we're having this interview, like, not, I'm not really coming as a fan today, but more so as a, you know, a fellow comrade, um, brother in the struggle, who's like, you know, you trying to carry that fire and try to see how we can make a better world for ourselves and for the next generation. So I appreciate you for putting that in me so that we can be here today and be talking. Um, The first question we had is that, with your album, the Let's Get Free album, you guys talk, touched on so many different things. Uh, you talked about education, you talked about health, you talked about being African, you had songs on all these different topics, discipline, psychology, propaganda. What what was your inspiration for those, uh, for putting out an ab- album like this? Why haven't you learned anything? My school shit is a joke. The same people who control the school system control the prison system and the whole social system ever since slavery. Um, well, we, I have to say, um, we were speaking on behalf of, um, you know, just the atrocities that had were happening in, inside of our community and through comrades who weren't able to speak for themselves. Um, you know, as organizers, 
at that time in New Revolutionaries. Um, we had we were learning tactics and strategies for the Black Revolution, and um, you know, at the end of the day, we knew that if we could make one last statement to the world or talk to the world um, about what we would say, then we would leave it in in, in the form of "Let's get free." Um, and and um, and believe me, um, we didn't come in, you know, to be to be rappers. We we did know that we had we had that tool in our toolkit, which was um, um, it was a propaganda tool. It, it wasn't, um, you know. I, I wish I was little Stevie Wonder, and and it just came like that. It, it came. It it, it really came. Um, you know, um, you know, because we were taught by uh, revolutionaries like you know, uh, Chairman O'Malley Chatella or, or 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 Willie Ricks or or Cambone or and and even people like you know uh, Kwame Ture. Um, you know, when he was around, even though he led the All African People's Revolutionary Party and, and I was a member of the Uhuru Movement, um, what I gathered in those years of, of organizing nationally and even somewhat internationally, um, we wanted to leave in the form of Let's Get Free. So that, that is why you got that album. Um, and we, 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 uh, it was so symbolic that it happened around the year 2000 when things we felt like uh, were in such an upheaval um inside the united states it's so crazy i did it's hard to believe that it, it that it could get worse than what we thought it was but here we are 20 right. years later <laughs> and and the things are, are um it, it, i mean the very next year we had 9 11. exactly exactly you know what i mean so um things did continue and and we are yet we are still here um and uh again um the lessons that we learned uh, or, or the things that we wanted to um to communicate through let's get free like be healthy uh which which again was uh you know our um perspective just about health and longevity um and not so we could be the best marathoners or the best basketball players but so that we could live a long time and be the, the best uh resistors and revolutionaries that we could be um that's the, the, that was the intention you know not not to form a, a vegan industry uh at all or vegan product it was, uh, yes. it was literally uh, only aimed at being here long enough to destroy our oppressor. Um, the same with songs like, uh, you know, you know, I'm an African, um, which just, you know, speaks to our connection to Africa, our power source for the world, but definitely for us. And um, and and and, you know, psychology and, and songs of that of the, that nature that that became um, Let's Get Free are, are were here. Um, to be evidenced, like if we are here no longer, if, if we are Huey P. Newton, if we are, you know, little Bobby Hutton, if we are, you know, um, you know, Asada Shakur, um, with what will be left, what will we leave for the world? And that's, that's why you have Let's Get Free. All right, thank you. Yeah, and when you talk about the revolutionary movement, it is really, imperative that people can even recognize like the path of hip-hop hip-hop started as like an activist movement it wasn't something that people that what it is today uh people really took to hip-hop because it was like an expression an expression for young people to basically deal with the challenges that life was 
bringing to us at that time. And so there was a lot of revolutionary spirit, a mm -hmm. lot of um, movement in that regard. However, we do see like hip hop has taken you know, another path at the same time where, you know, you get all sorts of like gangster rap and you get a different energy um, coming through hip hop and wanted to get your perspective as to perhaps where do you think um, those deliberate attempts to basically sabotage hip hop, to come into hip hop and take it in a different direction. Uh, we've even heard to feed the prison industry for for an example, uh, what is your stance on like the path of hip hop? Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for such an ob uh, brilliant observation and, and um, question. And I'm honored to be able to sit uh, and be able to try to handle this. I do the best that I can with the political education that I have. Um, but you know, I, I could only agree with you that hip hop, um, just by right, is has a, a revolutionary intention. Hip hop. Um, is the voice of working class Africans who, um, you know, ha could only um, define our, uh, you know, existence as one that was under bondage and brigandage um, under uh, uh, this capitalist system. You, there was nothing, you know, when Melly Mel said broken glass everywhere, people dying in the streets like you just don't care. It was not that he, um, you know, he he, he was not saying this on behalf of any group uh, this is just the way um it felt to be you know a colonial subject right mm -hmm. so so with that being said <clears throat> as as revolutionary as hip-hop uh, is um by nature it has never been organized it's not an organized revolutionary force it was matter as a matter of fact it was a disorganized revolutionary force um they, we called it the cnn of the black community but there was no we, we never established what the cnn was there was no there was no organized real station. No one that that they didn't have a organization that backed hip hop that claimed it as ours that could control the message. There was no council of elders that said you get the microphone and you don't. Um, and so then the, the 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 fight for hip hop came when we were able to see the power that it uh, that these voices you know held inside of hip hop. And again, being a disorganized hip hop force, the first people to try to gravitate to it. You just people like Sylvia Robinson who created Sugar Hill Gang, but she was an outright capitalist. Um, she didn't have a revolutionary bone in her body. And so when you hear the why, how hip hop became what it became was because we, we did not win the fight um, to own and control hegemony over what hip hop means and never did. And once the capitalists saw and once Sylvia saw and the rest of the record labels who didn't have wouldn't have a bone in their body that would make them turn towards hip hop. We remember because we old enough, we 50 years just like hip hop. I remember when you couldn't hear hip hop on the radio. I remember when people thought the shit was going to die in two seconds. I remember people wanted it to die. And now it is it represents America as probably the biggest outsource ex, uh, export of, of Americanism. Um, to be honest, you know, billions and billions of dollars industry and everything that has its hands in every reach and every corner uh, that, that um, you know, of America. So with that being said, 
what has happened is we we lost the fight to be able to have the revolutionary control that hip hop has. That's why our voices have been marginalized. Like certain messengers and messages in hip hop have have been, um, you know, uh, you know, blacked out. You know, we, we have white, uh, white, white, whited out, whatever you want to call it. Um, and um, and not it's not by any um, coincidence. It's not by ha happenstance that um, you know even people who have revolutionary ideas you know even like a kendrick lamar or j cole their most revolutionary uh, revolutionary ideas aren't the, the things that people know them the most for even though i know they are intelligent human beings and i know they align themselves with like a progressive stance but that's not what you know them for um because that's not the system works the system that we don't control so i hope i can uh, my stab at that made made any sense um you know again well, it I, is, it I, yeah, I don't i don't know but i don't i do know what i know yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. You know, if we not organize as a community to put it in the direction that we need it to go uh, for us, then, you know, it's only natural that some people are going to capitalize and exploit it and, you know, pull people to the side and represent it in a different way. Uh, for sure, we can see many records where people kind of clearly have certain things they're supposed to talk about in order to appease their record labels, certain brands they even have to talk about in their songs and things of that nature. So. Yeah, it's clear. Yeah, you know? they 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 reward the artists to to be uh you know ignorant. You know, and they at they at one point and there was a clear reward for mentioning alcohol, alcoholic beverages in your campaigns. Um, that at one point I, you couldn't even go on a tour that was not sponsored by an alcoholic beverage. Um, this clearly spoke to people the intentions. You know, and even like companies like you know. Uh, the Vivendi's and the Sony's and the, uh, you know, their hip hop wasn't the chief product that they, that we, we were just kind of this kind of, um, I guess soon, soon to be kind of, you know, we could be written off. We were a tax write off for companies that, that made products, real products, electronics and other good services and goods. And, and that, that hip hop was simply like, you know, a, a footnote for um, and, people for it. Indeed, and but people, a lot of us don't recognize that we were that commodity. A lot of artists don't see us as we we see our culture, but they see a commodity. Mm. And how were you able to maintain your voice, maintain that revolutionary spirit in the midst of all of that? Because obviously, you probably knew that that was happening right under your nose. Whereas, you, as you're stating, other artists had no idea; they just felt it was a, a pathway to quote unquote freedom, a path to get out of poverty, a path to evolve towards what they have been complaining about as far as the capitalistic system. They felt like, like, well, this is our way in. But as you're stating, you know, hip hop in, in the bigger scheme of things is like small potatoes. You know, mm -hmm. this is something that the capitalists can can just manipulate and utilize. And at the end of the day, if when whenever they were ready to just write it off, it's a it's a, a line that they can just exit out of the books, but at the same time, they recognized the power that it had, the influence that it had, and the dominance that it could, you know, transcend generations, it can transcend continents, it travels around the world, and it captivates the attendant attention of, of everyone who's listening. So for them to then turn around and to basically use it against uh, the people, you know, how did you maintain your voice through those processes? Uh, well, I got to be honest. Uh, and your integrity as well. Yes. 
you know, I just be honest, brother and sister, I, I um, in some ways withdrew from that. Um, just about if I got to be completely honest, um, you know, that press, we, we did, we, we, hmm. In, in, the, in, the, in the way that the spook who sat by the door did, we were able to sit by, you know, these big media houses, which we began to understand are literally like arms of, of the of the right wing media. You know, a, look at, a liberal looking white uh, right wing media is what we sat as like this kind of, um, you know, this 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 chip for this uh movable disposable you know part of of the game um mm -hmm. for and um upon recognizing that you know uh i felt like we we were kind of vulnerable in many ways and power and somewhat powerless i have to admit i was demoralized a little in the process mm -hmm. um because I, I knew that in order for groups like dead press to survive we would need an explicit audience that would support us and only us. We need people who can support only um, revolutionary um, media and revolutionary media workers. We are, if we don't have this, then we don't have a voice. And what I saw was that you know we we were everywhere we went. Our audiences were more white than I would like for them to have been. And I didn't want to go around the world and perform for Europe. That was not my intention. So I didn't want to be performing anymore. Um, I didn't want to be releasing records, especially when they when they really made streaming, which undercut our ability to even have the the nominal income that we do have. I know people, you know, I don't have to tell you about the you know exploitive relationship that record labels have with the artists historically. You know, Dead Press is no different. Um, you know, we were completely exploited by Sony Records and other people in that by that time, and complained about it at that time. But and we knew it when we entered the game, but we knew that platform was there. But when you undercut that by streaming and, and not having a, a direct access to our audience and then the, um, you know, just really weakening whatever little foothold that any messenger could have, the, the our power is in the people for real. And so when we do put, uh, you know, our access to the people, um, you know, more and more in jeopardy, it just made me say there's a different way to do this. And um I don't want to. I don't want to go and, and and waste my my that um, organizing tool. You know, hip hop is phenomenal, and when the phenomenon of it is and and you know, I learned about phenomenon. You know, uh, you know from Huey P. Newton. You know, he said, uh, "Power is the ability to define a phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner." This is where Huey. This is what the Panthers gave us. He said. He said, power is the ability to define, define a phenomenon and make it act in a desired manner. Well, hip hop is definitely phenomenal for me. But when I could not, when I was not able to make that act in our desired manner, it made me not want to be a part of that. Look for a new way to see a phenomenon. And there are many phenomenon here that we can use as revolutionary fervor. So I hope you understand where I'm coming from and how I dealt with it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I, I want to get more into, you know, these type of things in terms of like strategies moving forward. Uh, however, I wanted to also get back to some of your background as well uh, that you were talking about at your show at uh, the African Fest, that you had some um, some background in Chicago, that you spent a lot of time here. And, um, you know, I learned through your record about Fred Hampton and Fred Hampton Jr. You know, now we have a. Uh, uh, Fred Hampton Sr., we have him on our ancestor wall here. 
uh, as a Chicago, you know, a revolutionary. And, um, you know, his, my first time hearing about him was through you and through Fred Hampton Jr. And, but I didn't know that you actually had contact with his family even before he put that record out. So could you say uh, a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I can say, um, I'm so fortunate to have the, the teachers that I had and, uh, you know, it was through the whole movement uh, in the in the late in in the early '90s that I learned about political prisoners and certain camps throughout the South fighting on behalf of people who had gotten snapped up and was in jail and for longer than they were supposed to be. I was fighting for the Tampa Five. I was fighting for the Miami Three. I was going around and I learned about Fred. This was right after the 1992 rebellion, LA rebellion. They snatched up Fred Hampton Jr., um, claiming that he had set fire to a store uh, in, in, on the south side of Chicago. And when, when we found out that um, the Uhuru Movement, the organization I was down with, uh, ran to the rescue, uh, knowing the history of Fred. And, um, and, and they put me in Chicago as a representative, a representative of that organization. Um, and, and I came there in around 1992, right after the rebellion. and then. Um, you, you remember there's like little riots happening all, all across America at that mm-hmm. time, um, you know, based on based Rodney King and all this. Yeah, Rodney King and all that. So, boom, um, I ended up in Southside Chicago organizing. Uh, Fred had been locked up. And uh, my my job then was to politicize who he was and to bring his mother, uh, Kua and Jerry, uh, formerly Deborah Johnson, back into political life. Um, um, you know, reclaim their history and heritage. I know it might seem like a, you know, a mighty, you know, um, legacy that Fred Hampton carried on, but for years and years, um, people did not speak his name because the United States government made it so. The FBI raided his house daily, when the same daily operation, um, made sure that his name and, and who he was was not really well known. You know, I, amongst the revolutionary heroes that I had learned about at first, Fred Hampton was not one of them, but upon entering Chicago, I recognized him as, as like he was like a, a rock star among of revolutionary proportions, and um, and I, I was fortunate enough to live in the Hampton House for four years with um, Mama Akua and and help recover the legacy of Fred and and bring a Fred even Fred at that time um, he wasn't known as Fred Hampton Jr. He he was on the South Side. He had become a member of the organization called the Peace Stone Rangers. He was known as Flintstone on the street. So when I, I had to convince the people on the South Side, the brothers I was working with that as a revolutionary, I know y'all might know this guy as Flintstone, but this dude's real name is Fred Hampton Jr. And he is this legacy, you know what I'm saying? And um, I know this sounds crazy, but this is really what I had to do. That was, I used to go to prison every weekend uh, and, and and talk to Fred, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and we would form, you know, a tactic strategy about wh- how we can talk to the brothers in other prisons because of so many of his homeboys who were locked up and 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 uh you know just street tribes and he him introducing me to Southside or chicago in general 
from 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 his jail cell, um, which he sat for so many years. So yeah, the song that I wrote um, for, called "Behind Enemy Lines" is um, definitely chronicles those moments of me being the president of the campaign to free Fred Hampton Jr., um, working with his lawyers, um, having you know hundreds of thousands of of uh, you know signatures of, of two busloads going up to, uh, to the capital of uh, Springfield and, and to the to the governor's office all on behalf of Fred. Fred having many rallies and, and on, on, um, there on 54th and Halsted, at, which was the Uhuru Movement Center at that time, organizing center. And um, yeah, man, um, definitely um, is where some of my most formative revolutionary um, organizational years. Wow, man. Well, hats off to you, man, for that. You know, I we hear the record and it's like, you know, it's almost like you we don't know not knowing the background not knowing your history not knowing you guys work is just like oh you guys just came together and decided to write an album you know but with that you know it's good to know the background that you guys have been organizing way even before that so you yeah know, we I, I i really we really um didn't really care about the music it was really the fact that people weren't listening to a leaflet I would get on the L with the papers and I could organize. Yeah, I was pretty powerful organizer. I definitely wasn't no Fred Hampton Jr. But I know that hip hop was phenomenal, man. When they put on that brand new Snoop record, everybody was jamming it. When you put on that, and I and I was like, I gotta get right there. I need to get right on that frequency on the same shelf that they picking up that album on. I need to be right there so that they could hear this part. And so it wasn't really about the music. It was about the opportunity to speak to people, our people. And that is still is, is the intention today. Yeah, well, as MCs, y'all are y'all are really talented. But another thing that uh, stands out is musically that album, and y'all came in with the flutes and you know all type of acoustics uh, instruments. That uh, man, musically that album, it just by itself you could play the instrumentals. It just bangs. <laughs> It's a beautiful day and everybody's feeling wonderful The ladies is out looking fly, dressed comfortable I love to wake up and feel the breeze through my window You know, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your inspiration from, uh, you know, musically Or like who, who helped y'all produce that? We are lovers of Curtis Mayfield and the last poets and Nina Simone And uh, we are students of that of that crap you know black people man we so rich and talented in so many different ways again you know the people around me the drummers like baba tunde who was also a revolutionary or sister betty hana who was a former member of the panthers but who gave us our first last poets records or people who just sat us down and was like look this is what music is you know we um we just loved it my mama was a jazz singer, Sticks. Mama can sing, but none of us are formally trained. I thought that it was going to be like, a, again, I didn't consider myself a musician. I considered myself a revolutionary who going to use these tools to make this happen. And I knew that if I didn't do it on the level of Stevie Wonder or who I thought was the greatest that I could, vibration that I could see, then it wasn't worth, it wasn't worth doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we, it, you know, people make revolutionary music all the time, but if it ain't good revolutionary music, nobody cares. Right. You know, it gotta be good. They gotta, cause that's the song that people gonna remember. And 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 I know people think it's 
just because the song is so good, but it's the science in the music. Just so many ways to uh, to to enter this pineal gland. You know what I'm saying? And if you 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 ain't and you know, kudos to everybody who are revolutionaries and trying to make music with it. But everybody can't. Everybody's not supposed to do that. Some people are supposed to do it their way. Fortunately, we were surrounded by people who really had really musical some skill. You know what I mean? Like my partner Stick is an excellent, um, has an excellent ear for production. And he produced um, a lot of like the sound that, you know, he and I curated it together, but it was kind of, is kind of a rhythmic thing that he did on an ASR machine that kind of set it off. And he was influenced by like Havoc from Mob Deep and Rizzo from Wu-Tang Clan and, mm -hmm. and Easy Moby, who was who's producing the Biggie Smalls Reggie Die album, and then so we combine that with the Nina and the Curtis and the and and Fela, and there you got it. You know what I'm saying? So that's why our music had those kind of elements of like flutes and timpanis, or you know, some kind of my partner Tahir from Headrush, who's from Tallahassee with us. He he helped add an extra drum layer on this bigger than hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Stick came up with that bass line on this Bigger Than Hip Hop just because it's so funky and big and bodacious. You know what I'm saying? Like um, we just were lucky to be around certain musicians and artists who had curated their sound to a one that we felt would vibrate with us. We are, it, I, you know, if I had to go in hindsight and look back at it, man, we we're really lucky. You know what I mean? Because, um, you know, we could have chosen some other production that would not have gotten us where we wanted to be, you know? Um, you know, there was a Peruvian band that helped us make mind sex, you know, um, we, we couldn't have done it no other way. You know what I mean? So, um, again, that, that's, I'm gonna just put it in the ancestors hands, man. I was surprised to hear you say that we were asking, like, how did you succeed in the work that you were doing? And you said, well, I really saw it as a failure. And I mean, that really took me by surprise, but I understand because your intent was to be a revolutionary more so than uh, an artist per se. Your your goal was to reach people. How do you do that? Because the music right now, even to hear those albums today, you can't tell if it was 20 years ago or two days ago. It's just that timeless because it really transcends, again, generations. It transcends uh, time in, in the sense that it's still very captivating. It's still very relevant. How are you able to still uh, reach young people? Because right now, even all the revolutionary language you're speaking about, I can probably guarantee nine out of 10 youth on the street have no idea what you just said. How can we still reach those people without that platform that you you all spearheaded? I you I think you might have to ask somebody younger than me. You know what I mean? Like to be honest, and, and that's just simply because, you know, as a social scientist, the the rhythm of what it would take to move somebody like I was moved by Tupac. I felt him to be a comrade of mine. I felt the fire and the, I heard it, and I but I understood because he had the same teachers that I had. Dr. Matula Shakur is like was a father to me in the same way he was a father to him. So when I could understand when Tupac moved the way he moved, why it was like how it is. To me, if we're gonna be able to talk about it in a real way about how to move the needle for people today, 
then you got to be able to talk about the, the change in attention span. You got to talk about being hit with the algorithm and what social media has done to us. You got to have social scientists who know it from a perspective that is one that knows is happening to us, like we know it we're being propagandized, but have the 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 who are ready to be be uh you know uh you know who do, to do something that's never been done before in that way. Um and and uh and you know I look forward I, I you know I am still making albums and I, I am I do have children, you know what I'm saying? My youngest is, is five years old, so it's not like I'm not, you know knowing but i would have to say like from where i saw it coming from we was gonna be a glitch in the matrix you know what i'm saying we i'm like yeah we're gonna be the glitch i needed to hear that from the standpoint of a youth today who is ready to be a glitch in this new paradigm and this ai um and, and um and so you know i do i do know that we are not in control um yet you know we 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 have we haven't built an app for us to show up on as revolutionaries and populate and share ideas and contest you know this, these languages there should be you know I, I know i'm not the only one who's thinking about this but and there should be but i do think that that is what it's going to take to to move it and i wish like just music or or even like you know we're it you know I, I, yeah man i don't know and again um I I don't want to. If anybody hears this and disagrees with me, good, you know, then good, because that means you see something that I don't see, and that's cool because I don't see everything. But from where I'm sitting at, you know, we are not um, a factor. Um, and uh, when I say we, I mean our revolutionary community and changing the, the 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 direction of where we're headed as a people. We don't have a huge. We're not. We're not. We're not. We ain't heavy in the game. You know what I mean? Um, not to demoralize anybody or take us away from anything. Show me the way, please, somebody. But I just know where we at right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Uh, well, I wanted to ask about the because in the album you guys were talking about organizing the people army and um, you know um, all type of stuff. <laughs> you know, going to the Pentagon, you know, meet us up in Capitol Hill and all that. And, um, I know, tried. Obviously, I, tried. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, up there. I'm not, I'm not saying you didn't, I'm not, I'm, uh, because I can, the sincerity comes through, uh, in the music, first of all, but also getting to talk to you, you know, that you really were, you were really serious about what you were talking about. But, you know, also, hey, in my own studies, we know that this machine is very uh, well oiled and they've been putting this thing together for a long time. So it's going to take more than a few of us to try to, you know, make the change we tried to make. But my question is really this, you know, uh, from all those years ago, you know, now when that album came out, that was 2000, right? Yes. So now we 23 years later. Uh, where where has your mindset changed and far as far as like wanting to bring the changes that we wanted that we trying to make you know that we need to see collectively for our community okay like what's disheartening is that the goals are still the same you know mm -hmm. like we still need reparations mm -hmm. like i wish we didn't have to talk about that man i don't 
I fought, for, I was there at the first NCOBRA meetings. The National Co Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America is called, it's organization is called NCOBRA. And, mm -hmm. and, it's, and then it started becoming, it, it became just BRA, Blacks for Reparations in America. And then now you have a reparation. I just want to say that we've been leading this shit up for so long, part of my curse words. And, no, and I'm just saying that it's disheartening, man, that I'm still, we still here talking about this. That we, or we, I still got to worry about like police terror in the same way that I was terrified about it when I was 17. Mm. Like, really, we really still having this conversation? Man, we, or we really, am I really desensitizing numb when next time one of us get murdered? I, I, am I that way? Have I become, have we? And I, not even just me, you know? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Bro. It, it's, it's, it's real hard. It's like it's that anger. That way we used to be just have that anger, you know, with everything that we were finding out about. And now it's like it's, it doesn't even affect it. It doesn't hit the same way. It's like it's just how things are. And it's almost like, you know, you, we have to maintain our peace of mind. You know what I mean? We can't run around angry all the time. We got families. We got children and stuff like that. We, we can't just be angry. You know, but at the same time, or, or we can't, or we can be angry, right? It's okay, but where does that transfer? Right, and, and, and uh, because that's sustained anger begin, begins begins eat, eat away at you. It's cool if right. we can use it as a, as a way to, you know, trans transfer away. But if you just keep just holding this for you know twenty years, it's yeah. like where where we gonna be at? And so I definitely have to learn to live with it. I don't know. Let me you, make, yeah. Make I was I was feeling the same thing and just you know feeling like it's it's hurting me. You know what I mean? It's it's leading me not to be able to function around other people. You know, and uh, but at the same time, the balance is like where how do you try to calm yourself enough to think clear to be able to function well you know with whatever you're trying to do but at the same time not be kind of numb to what's going on and you know almost like feel like because i see you look at the 60s you know and the people who are like moving in the 60s like revolutionary spirit in the 60s trying to make big changes and then you know leaderships get taken out and things of that nature and then a lot of the same people they're still around they're elders now but they found a way to assimilate and it's almost like you wonder like how how does that spirit die out now that i'm getting older it's like i have to fight to make sure that i'm not normalizing certain things in my own mind that shouldn't be normal you know so I'm sorry. I, you, what you were saying just hit me in a way, and I just had to make no that man. I, I you know I don't always get a chance to exchange with people who do have not who have not internalized this uh, you know level of our struggle. Um, so I, it's it's you know in a way kind of you know refreshing to see this with both with both of you, um, and I definitely am hearing it from you as well. But you know, I don't. I'm not always having you know the type of conversations. Matter of fact, my my conversation now is just limited to my children. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I don't. I don't take public platform when someone's murdered anymore. I'm not gonna be leading the march. You know, um, I, I I would now if called upon. But I know people have. There's a different way to organize, and I don't want to do that backwards anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to like you know because you know. We have to now see this as the long fight. 
you know, I, I definitely didn't see myself living past 25 years of age, but definitely as a revolutionary, I expected to be free before now. Mm. So now I'm like, okay, now we're now I have to sustain the long fight because now I gotta make it until until I can till the next people free us. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, I have to I realize I might not. I'm 51. You know what I'm saying? I might not be the one reason. You know what I'm saying? And I definitely took that on my shoulders. And not being that we that colonialism is still intact, capitalism is still intact in the way that it is. Um, I do see I do I do feel you know, defeated in certain ways around But I don't feel like that there isn't a future for us. It's just, I know we have to, I have to last until it can happen. And that's now my new mentality. So what is your perspective on the youth uprising in the continent of Medita, of Africa? You see people standing up and putting a line in the sand, that same revolutionary spirit that we're talking about uh, back in the 60s to see these young people uh, having a political and military agenda to say enough is enough. What are your thoughts? I love it. I think the seeds have been planted in Africa. Um, I've been there, I've been on the continent, uh, almost um, probably 15 countries in Africa. Um, organizing, and, you know, so I know the seeds were, were, were sowed. And so what we're seeing is the fruits of that revolutionary, uh, that revolutionary struggle. You also saw a destabilized government. You saw the perfect, the most ripe circumstance by which we can have this revolutionary insurrection um, in Niger, in Gabon, and, um, you know, everywhere we are, but I, we were everywhere. Like, oh, we were in Sierra Leone. We are in, uh, we are in, we are in Cape Town. We, I, I, I was all, all through South Africa and Botswana. Um, and so to me, this is like, it's, uh, it's amazing, right? However, this is not the height of the theoretical African revolution. And we gotta look at who we have. We gotta look at Sekou Toure. We gotta look at Kwame Nkrumah. We gotta look at Thomas Sankara. We gotta look at these leaders because if this thing, we let it to be, let these be individual struggles, then we don't win the fight. They, we don't win the fight. And I love it. I love that we, that the destabilization has left us, left us with enough military to, to have control over. Yeah, so um, again, like, uh, so you, I think my point was made. I was interrupted, but my, my point is, I, I'm I'm inspired by um, what's happening on the front, um, on many many international fronts. Actually, um, you know, uh, South South America got some interesting things going on down there. Um, you know, a lot of situations are truly right. Shit, America is right. We just got to step up um, and really insert ourselves. Do you see the crisis in the ruling class right now? Like mm. it's crazy. You know, like that January sixth thing was crazy. Yeah. Um, and but 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 we just got to be able to step up and, and 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 open the crevice more, um, and keep the foot open. But yeah, man, I, I'm look. You know, our brothers on the riverboat down here in Alabama. You know, what I'm saying like I, I'm. I know that seems small, right? But those things can be incendiary. You know, mm-hmm. inside our community, and and in many ways were and have been. When I saw Fred Hampton Jr., he had a flyer with. Well, one thing we do want to at least 
uh, bring to attention is like we're coming from an organization that was founded by indigenous people out of West Africa who also was frustrated. And our founder is really a high Dogon priest. And when you see him, when you meet him, he's so very calm. He's so very stable. Uh, he has this air about him that's just like the world is going to be okay because he's here and he is giving us the stability, the education, the foundation that we need to return to our cultural roots, to embrace what our ancestors did before us because they have all the answers that we're looking for. We just don't have them here on this side of the world because we're fragmented, because we're not organized, because we don't have a culture, because we don't have a history that we can stand on and, and spring from. But when you go to Medita, when you go to Africa, which is a derogatory term, um, but we can talk more about that later. Um, when you look at the traditional people who are holding so much wisdom, they approach these atrocities that we see every day in a completely different fashion, in a completely different way. How do they organize? How do they deal with the societies and the traumas that we see is just through education. And that's the piece that is, is still missing. Like we can be mad all day long. We can be angry all day long. We can get out and protest and march and try to fight in the street, but we know where that's gonna get us. We, we've seen our leaders get chopped down and when they're chopped down, then you're left like holding the bag, like, well, what next? What's now? And so then are we just waiting for a new generation to, to come and bring us that freedom that we're all looking for? But that long fight that you're talking about, it truly, truly comes through the process of education. And the education that we're talking about, it's like hundreds of thousands of years old the path of initiation, like we have to re-educate ourselves if we want any chance of survival. Because if we're relying on the same systems that are colonizing us, the same systems that keep our economics in disarray, the same systems that are imprisoning us to be the ones to educate us to, you know, like where do we think we're going to go with that? Our education has to come from our forefathers, our education has to come from what worked before. When we look to our homeland, when we look to Meditai and we see like the majesty there, we see the pyramids, the temples, we see like these great civilizations, like, well, what the heck happened to them? Where are they? When are they coming to save us? As you said <laughs> last week, I'm waiting on that Calvary, you know, but it's like, it, it, it comes through the education. But as you were stating, like, you have that revolutionary spirit, but if you don't have the right platform, who's going to listen to you? And that's where we're trying to find organizations, communities, people that can help with fostering that agenda, meaning re-educate yourself. But if you aren't, quote unquote, singing the right notes to the right people at the right tempo, you know, you can have all the platform you want and nobody's going to follow you if you're not meeting them where they are. That's so right. I think is the, the challenge that we face because we do have, quote unquote, the answers. We do have the platform, but we have to be able to reach people, you know, where they are. Right. I agree. 
Well, that's part of what we're trying to do with this podcast. And and uh, we're going to um, also, for thanks, uh, to thank you, guys, thank you for coming to join us. We're going to send you some of our publications as well. Uh, we publish the comedic calendar uh, every year. So uh, the new issue just came out, or the new year, the comedic new year just passed. Awesome. On, uh, on Monday. And then um, we also have uh, the philosophy podium. Dogon perspective by our by our teacher. I love that. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll uh, get into what you about how we can get those to you as well. Thank you, thank you so much, and again, thank you for uh, holding this space for this conversation. It doesn't happen all the time, and I don't always even have time to do it. Um, so just want to say thank you for for being you and uh, imparting that information. And uh, giving me a little bit more hope that we out here, that we that we gonna, you know, we gonna yeah, see. Yeah, we still here, man. We, you know, we're not finished. Uh, before we before we finish, I wanted to hear more about what you guys have going on uh, in terms of the new album that you have coming out, and then. Um, what's up? And this ain't no begging, so your perspective should change. You should be out here with more than the Saudis. Warriors more like the Maoris. Loyalty, look all around me. One, two, three, four hundred thousand. Living in public housing, and all of this should be ours. I'm coming for the power. Oh, man. We, well, thank you for asking. Um, we just started working on this new piece, um, you know, maybe six months ago. Um, it was an idea that came through kind of like a lightning bolt. I happened to be in community with other people who were doing some other work and I saw their work process and it inspired me. We hadn't done an album in over 10 years, I think at this point, uh, me and Stig. I think he's done some work and, and I had done some work just, just on, a, you know, on a solo is this kind of explorative kind of stuff. So we, you know, the music, I still felt and loved the music. I just didn't uh, know where, you know, uh, where we would fit and how everything would happen. Again, I had the same kind of feelings about even the system of releasing the music um, as before. And where, you know, there's so many hundreds of albums that happen daily now. It's like, how do you weather that storm? And so, you know, I was with, with people like, you know, Killer Mike and Bun B and Tobey Yue and, and Corday. And, and I was at Dave's, I hang a lot out with Dave and, and watch his his uh, his genius happen, Chappelle, meaning. and. Um, and we was around them. I was and then decided let's just let's just let's just make a couple of songs. And 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 in making a couple of songs, we started exploring what you know what 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 other what what we would make songs about, and uh, and that led us to making more songs than we thought that we would make. And here we are today with a, with approach approaching an album. Um, and I, I I wish I could lay the title of it on you. Uh, we're gonna do some grand announcement about around the title of the next Dead Press album in the next uh, day or two, I think. Um, and, and and hopefully, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to say it, let the cat out the bag before I, I let my brothers know that I'm gonna do that. But um, the, the the title is forthcoming, and uh, and we next year we're looking for you know a full rollout, uh, hopefully in this very very creative way that allows it to last more than the nanosecond that social media allows us um, mm. today. Um, and we just put a lot of thought in it and then, and, and want to continue to do that. So definitely, um, it's along the same line as, as what Dead Press does. But I think we've taken a departure in, in some ways. We are older and we've learned a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, 
also um uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah well by the, by the time this comes out maybe the album will already be announced so we'll we'll put that in the captions okay good i was gonna say i don't know when this is gonna air and uh yeah. but if, and and maybe i i talked to my partner today and then we uh, we'll get online and, and i'll come back around and tell you the title and you can include it you know what okay, I'm saying? So. so yeah for sure uh, and then and then now also as a as a I mean, I don't want to say elder, but in terms of like, you know, the the music field, you definitely would be considered the elder or old school or whatever, uh, you know, and which for me is, is crazy hearing music on the oldie station that came out around the same time as that first uh, Dead Prez album. So uh, I wanted to ask you about um, how you feel as an elder, or not how you feel, but you, you, your approach as an elder in the industry, in the music industry, so to speak, or at least having been in the industry. You know, I know you're not trying to be actively in that, but having been there, I'm sure you have other aspiring artists who look up to you. And um, how do you try to pass that on to the next generations? Yes, sir. I mean, I am a music executive. Um, but you know, simply because I, I've claimed it, um, I have, I've sown too many, um, uh, seeds and great relationships that have, uh, matriculated to great places now, um, and which I can, you know, help artists all. And I do all the time. My consultation is probably the number one thing that I do, um, for people around me and for the ones of us who I see who have a, a, a special path or one that could be special um i tell the cautionary tale you know mm -hmm. i i i um tell where all of the the pitfalls and roadblocks are i give the game i give it away um because i wish that someone who had done that before me mm -hmm. um as a matter of fact um even the ones who were ogs to me were predatory uh against us in certain ways and and some and and i can't blame them their oppressor taught them the way to play that game um but you know i'm here you know as as an anti-celebrity uh it's as anti-industry um you know at the same at, right beside celebrity you know um right you know or, and right in the industry uh they the two can happen together i'm a disruptor and happy to be that way and sometimes in in that room um i am there's more relief to see me than than some of the dog eat dog world comrades that that some of my contemporaries have because they are on that treadmill uh mm. where i where i don't have to play by any of those rules yet i'm inside that room um so that's that's kind of where what i do um a lot today you know cool appreciate that you have another question i would like to know the meaning of your name Matulu, um which is a name that i uh, was given by a namesake by, of Dr. Matulu Shakur, um, which the interpretation by him was to follow your own path. Um, and um, so in, in, um, in essence, what Matulu means is to, uh, to go back the way that you came uh, or to follow the path, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, again, it was heavy. Uh, I remember um, the day I became Matulu and um 
and I, I had no idea how, uh, how heavy um, the the uh, the, cr the crown is that I wear. Um, and more so recently, um, I got to say, like there was many years in between when we weren't able to free Doc, that made me even more depressed. You know, um, a lot of my political. You know, I used to. You know, I visit most of these people. You know what I'm saying? Like these people I've seen behind bars. Like, um, so my intention is to see them home. Mm -hmm. I didn't go some heroic act or something like that. It was like, all right, I'm, I'm coming in because I'm getting you out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To see many of them spend all the way up to their last day in prison hurts. It hurt my heart. It hurts me. It hurts me deep, deeply. I, I still struggle um, with with um, his transition, his recent transition. I, I, I don't even know. I haven't quite even developed the words to grieve in the right way. And maybe they will come, but mind you, you know, this is somebody who I carry his name and have been moving forward with. You know, I was happy to see him and breathe air, free air with him. I did, you know, we, we kicked it at his crib in LA before, before he passed. And I'm happy to have had those times but it would never add up to the time he should have been out here and what he and who and who he really is to me and to the world like a giant like i can't even put it into words so um yeah um olubala uh matul olubala which is also i come from a revolutionary lineage um and the olubalas are part of uh that Shakur that that, that Shakur and uh, and uh you know, uh, uh, you know there there was a revolutionary cultural kind of revolution that happened, and th those kind of names, you know, came forward, and I became an Obubala, um which is the highest of Yoruba expression of of spirit. Um, you know, um, Olu and Bala is like spirit. You know, mm. so. That's what, uh, that's what my name is. Thanks for that. Uh, I got one more question for you. Um, you know, I remember Dave Chappelle from uh, Half Baked when his uh, show came out. Um, we didn't know how revolutionary that was going to be. Um, but I, I think uh, we, we saw that for sure after a little while. But, you know, when he came out with his show, you know, you all's track was the soundtrack for the Chappelle show. talk a little bit about that uh did you actually know him you guys talked about him doing that or you know how did that come about yeah i i, I become dave as you as, i don't have to tell you this now but dave is like the most hip-hop head in the world mm -hmm. like he loves hip-hop and so when we were first beginning to tour we would we but when we were just running around new york we're like Yassine and Kuali and them, and he, he, you know, and even Ye, really. And 
and a lot of that time, Dave would come around. He, he, of course, he was a comedian, but he had, had his success on the screen first, which made us know who he was. And, and so he was just real cool. And we all smoked a lot of weed together. And that's, and um, so we were going. The first tour I went on was was with the Roots, um, and there was like the Roots, Jazzy Fat Nasties, Jaguar Wright, Tyler called Black Star, um, you know, a few other things, few and you know, Dad Press, and Dave would would just get on the tour bus and just ride with us. And then we would, of course, cause he's homies, we would just, so he's at the end of the tour, he started to introduce this idea about a show that he would make a variety show. Mm-hmm. We would talk about it and, and um, he, he, and he always would say, cause we, at that time during the Roots show, we had our dad press show, but um, Amir, um, Questlove would do a rendition of hip hop as the Roots finale song every night so the roots was the headliner act and we were an earlier act so we would come back at the end of the show and do as big of the hip-hop with this kind of rock box finale with him slamming on the drums and wow. we just rock rock out um a la what happened at block party actually so when you see that on black block party just know that we have been doing that version with the roots uh-huh. so by the same time the end of the tour came they was like look i got a show i'm gonna do it and i want y'all song to be you know the, and I, the song and I'm and we're like, I, right. you know what I'm saying? Like it was not. I had no idea it was gonna the Chappelle show was gonna be the Chappelle show, but I did know that he was gonna use our song, and I'm just happy that he did. Cool, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, much love to y'all. Much much success for your uh, upcoming project, and you know, moving forward to you know. We like to see, you know, what this what this podcast, this Chicago Sunnyside podcast is. It's a it's Chicago based, but uh, you know, we're global in our efforts, and we really try to build bridges with this show and uh, kind of, um, I guess, see how we can do things together more. And uh, you know, so we'll be in touch and see, you know, if there's anything we can do that will be. Uh, mutually um well not just beneficial for us and you but also for our communities as well i'd be great i'm open to it let's talk about it again thank you for having me in your in your studio and in your on your platform i'm really honored well we appreciate it and uh let that revolutionary spirit continue uh through you, through your descendants, your legacy that you've built, we are proud to be uh, witnessing and, and part of it. Because uh, we, it is a global effort; it's a collective effort that we're all trying to refuel that revolutionary spirit. Indeed, indeed, I love it. All right. Well, we'll we'll be in touch about getting you these products as well. And uh, yeah, have a good rest of your day. Uh, greet the family for us, and best wishes to all of you. We'll do, we'll do all power to the people. Uhuru, keep fighting, y'all. See y'all on the front line. Yes, sir. Peace. I feel like this is getting cliche, but every time we get to do an interview, I mean, maybe because we're new uh, to this podcasting thing, but I'm always like, yes, it was, it was great. You know, it was great uh, to. I mean, it's just, it's, I didn't know when we started this how much I'd be inspired by these conversations. And so, you know, 
once again, I'm walking away with the inspiration and feel like, you know, our circle is getting bigger still. Yeah, that that is what I can definitely <clears throat> co-sign to that whole notion of sometimes you're in the in the work and not to say you feel like you're by yourself, but, you know, you've got your initiated community mm-hmm. which is worldwide so we feel connected in that regard but to be able to build a circle or expand that circle to people who are also in this struggle in this fight with the revolutionary spirit mm-hmm. uh it, it's very refreshing yeah uh it's wild that they were in chicago the the brother was in chicago for four years and that's where I was just sitting here thinking about that whole notion because I grew up, I mean, he's only a couple years younger than I am. So we're in the same age group, mm. but it's like, why is his knowledge base so much more extensive than mine in regards to revolutionary uh, people and practices and the movement itself mm. and all of the underlying components like knowing about conspiracy theory even having that idea just wasn't in my uh, paradigm at that time you know I grew up in a, a, a home in a particular way and those types of thoughts or ideas just didn't cross our table I know my mm. father did have a revolutionary spirit um, but it seemed like it kind of was he just learned to just deal with society mm-hmm. uh, on his own terms. And in fact, he, he decided to like kind of turn him or he decided to kind of remove himself from society in, in many ways and wanted mm-hmm. to be off the grid, if you will. So that was more like his approach um, <clears throat> versus someone to say, I'm going to get in this and actually make some change, make some difference and, 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 put up a fight um so that was very inspiring yeah i mean my father and grandfather too uh they they're lawyers well my grandfather passed but uh they used to work together in law but they always would recommend i mean represent like underprivileged or you know maybe people who's revolutionary in their own right or people who's dissidents and things of that nature uh, they never did the corporate law and things like that. So they had their own way of kind of trying to push things forward. But it was actually through my grandfather that I uh, I found the Book of the Dead in his library. And that's what, I don't know, it was, it was just something to spark something in me. Like, hmm, my grandfather, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect, but he was actually mm-hmm. into something that, like that. And then he... He had like a Rosicrucian mm-hmm. uh, booklet. It was like a like it was like a, a recruitment booklet, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, "What is this?" You know. So it, yeah, the different things planted those seeds. You know, like again, like dead prayers. It just took a lot of different factors, but uh, somehow that got me started on this path. And um, you know, I'm still here fighting because. We can't expect the world to change if we take a back seat to what's going on. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we can also see how the system has 
really stacked everything against us because if you took that revolutionary stance, you were really considered like an outsider. You were considered odd, strange, ostracized. You were kind of cut off from the mainstream. Well, that's still the case. I and, mean, you know, and, certain things you can't even talk about. They'll they'll shut down your social media account or basically censor you to the point where like nobody's going to see your post. Mm-hmm. Uh, it by, because you're talking about certain stuff that you're not supposed to talk about. But I think they found a platform because of the music, because mm-hmm. it was in hip hop, it became acceptable. And as as stated, they saw early on that it was still a manipulative tool, but they used it to their advantage. And it's the same thing that we all have to just learn to navigate. If you understand the system, if you understand what you're dealing with, you can't change it. All you can do is find a way to do what you need to do in order to uh, continue the work and and that's what I think Makaru um, did so very well worked with the means that the system allowed and and found a way to to be able to share his knowledge well he worked within the framework of the system and in the, to a degree and you know obviously you have to function monetarily you have to function uh uh, understanding people's obligations within their daily lives for who you're trying to reach and who you're trying to teach mm-hmm. and how you deal with them. And he was very adaptable to all of that. But I wouldn't say you can't change the system, you know. I think when when he started, for example, nowadays we hear people talking about ancestors all the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody used to talk about ancestors before Makaru started. I mean, look, I'm just going to go out here and say this. Uh he was the first person out here talking about ancestors that I know. Uh, maybe some people here and there, but he put that out in front all the time, you know, and now that's become like a thing. You know, it's different things that can be injected into a message, into a way of teaching that can can change society slowly in small ways. And we just have to make sure that we, uh, like like the brother was saying, playing the long game. And, and that... That's the key, the long game, because if we're thinking, and I, I know I did think that the change that I was looking for was going to happen in my lifetime, mm. I was very short-sighted in that regard. We all have that impatience, like we want to be able to see it. So like if you can't see it in your own lifetime, what's the point of mm-hmm. fighting for it? Mm-hmm. But you know, with the understanding that we are not just us in this short life, but we are... Uh, spirits that come and go and then we come back mm-hmm. you know we have to come back and in the meantime before we get to come back our children still have to deal with this world like what are we passing them so we you know I think uh, what you like you're saying we have to be looking long term so yeah once again it's New Year's uh, it's the new year we are now in the year 423 of the comedic calendar uh, not to say that the calendar is 423 years old, but 423 years <clears throat> since the last um, restart of the big cycle of the calendar, which is what we call the great year, uh, when the uh, Sirius star lines up with the Earth and the Sun. And um, so that's how we measure uh, the start and end of our big year, and that's how we measure the small years, what we call the seasonal year, the three three hundred sixty-five slash three hundred sixty-six day year. Um, we're in four 
we're in the 423rd seasonal year since the last great year restarted. And the great year is 1,461 years. Yes. So that's the way that it parallels with the small year, as we call it. Mm-hmm. 1,461 days for the small year. The, the medium. I'm sorry. Yeah, the medium year and then the smaller or the seasonal year is, is 365 days. The medium year is four seasonal years. And then the great year is 1,461 seasonal years or 365 medium years. Yes, Isn't that mathematical? It, it is Mathem- very mathematical, like genius. <clears throat> and that just goes to show how intelligent the existence is, how uh-huh. intelligent the earth is. The creators, the- uh, the, you know, you can't come up with something like that and mm-hmm. say, oh, uh, the earth the creation started with the big bang and suddenly you know we have these type of uh perfectly harmonized cycles going mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. yeah that's the even the majesty the magic of it mm-hmm. when you look at these celestial bodies and how they harmonize how they work together and know what position to take and what to do um and and that's how we as humans have to learn how to how do we fit into this bigger existence? What do we need to do so we're in harmony with the earth, harmony with the greater existence, and, and know when to take that humble approach and when to take a more aggressive or standing. No, we need to change <laughs> nature and change the earth and terraform and geo, what is the word? Geoengineer. So that it can be the way that we want it. So our lives can be the way we want them to be. Yeah, and that's just destruction. That's just destruction. destruction. We, just, we just end up destroying our environment and we end up destroying ourselves. I was just talking about that at Usabo Museum. You were? Yeah. We're going to be back there again, but we don't know when. We'll let you know. But that was a very great lecture series on the decolonization of the mind. Absolutely. I think what we're going to do, that footage has not been released, but I, I think what we're going to do is end up putting that, putting it our, on our membership portal oh, right. for exclusive access to our to Earth Center members. Uh, so if you're looking for those on YouTube, you're probably not going to find them, but uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted. Great. Um, but yeah, once again... Uh, it's the new year, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we are now 25 years in to of the Earth Center in Chicago. 25 years? 25 years. Wow. Wow. How 20, time? Two and a five. It's like <laughs> 20 plus five, 25. That's a lot of years, you know. That's quite amazing in and of itself, and... As the saying goes, like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I've been in Chicago all of my life, but I didn't know about it 25 years ago. <laughs> so that means I was sleeping for uh, a I break. found about I found out about it 20 years ago yeah. because I was out there looking. I was like, I'm gonna. I, I, I heard that Dead Prayers album. I was like, I gotta I'm know the truth. <laughs> I'm on it, yes. Well, I think I was still at a corporate desk. Trying to be a revolutionary on the weekends. Yeah, well, he was talking. To, they, they said they schools can't teach us shit. I was like, you know what? I'm dropping out. Oh wow! <laughs> no, did I? Had I already dropped out by then? I don't, you dropped out of school? 
Yeah, I dropped out twice. I dropped out of high school and college. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, we are going to cut to some footage of our New Year's celebrations in Togo, West Africa at our temple, the Het Aishat Healing Center. And if you don't know, yes, there is an actual African temple. We're, this is not no fake temple, y'all. Like, this is like a real actual temple. And not just one. <laughs> I mean, Het Aishat is one temple. I mean, we're connected to many temples. Many temples. However, this is just one of them. And this is the temple that is like belongs to our organization. But we're connected to many others that are also like our allies. I don't know if allies is the right word. They're part of our extended community. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, what pilgrimage is coming up. Uh, <clears throat> we do pilgrimages or trips, uh, spiritual uh, learning trips and elevation trips i don't know i don't know the best way to describe pilgrimage but it's like you know a way to reconnect with our culture to learn more about our roots but also um kind of get the blessings from these places the 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 temples the uh the kings the royalties that we visit um but yeah pilgrimage is coming up in january and one thing i I guess maybe found out the hard way mm -hmm. uh, when you go on a pilgrimage you're not going there as a tourist right you're not going there to just take a look at the scenery and uh, look at the nature and all these things but you're really trying to immerse yourself in the culture and that's one thing that I've now appreciate so very much uh, with the trips that we take is because if you want to see how traditional people live, if you want to see how this body of knowledge has been preserved for thousands and thousands of years, you have to go and, and live it. You can't just read about it in a book. You can't just look at it from a historical standpoint and, and while you're drinking your coffee mm -hmm. in the comfort of your living room with the air conditioner blowing. Right. No, you need to go right to the land to the people where it's actually happening and get yourself engaged in that capacity and you'll learn so much not just about the culture but about yourself but it's not <clears throat> it's not a comfortable experience you're not in uh you're not in a resort so uh yeah i remember in like probably 2001 2002 when they did the first pilgrimage my crew less <clears throat> master and i led the first pilgrimage and um I read it about in the Firefly, and the first thing they said, this is not a tourist trip. Mm -hmm. So I was ready when I already knew. <laughs> I already knew the deal. And then, um, you know, uh, our, our uh, co-host and esteemed mm -hmm. comrade in arms, Nahez uh, Miniyu and his his uh, his wife and, um, you know, some of the other initiates from the Chicago Temple traveled in the year before I went so they told me a lot about it so I didn't I, well, I wasn't it's still like someone can tell you something <clears throat> yeah. and you think you know what that means that they still like you're going to be roughing it you're going to be living in tents you're going to nah, be I started taking cold showers <laughs> I started sleeping oh. on the floor I was like I'm getting I'm getting ready get I gotta ready. get ready for this you know so I, <laughs> I still wasn't ready though and that's the thing yeah. you're, you're never ready because i did the same thing as far as like take sweets out of your diet so mm -hmm. the bugs will not just feast on you mm -hmm. and i did that and then i found out everything in our entire diet and the 
modern world has sugar in it. Like, why <laughs> right. does bread have sugar in it? That was my first time even re- recognizing that bread has sugar. Like, why? Hmm. Why is it in everything? Wow. <laughs> so, yes, 25 years, and uh, we're going to take a quick pause uh, to show you some footage from our ceremonies at our temple, Het Aishat Temple in Togo, West Africa. And you all try to go 30 days without any sugar and see how far and how limited you are in your diet. No, no, no. <laughs> try to go 30 days without salt. Oh. I tried to cut salt out of my diet one time. Mm-hmm. Whoo. Impossible. You, you, no, you would think sugar is the most addictive thing. No. Next to salt, no. There's no comparison. Salt is like, you can't even think about it. You, it's not even like a thought to not have salt like no salt at all like no no salt i didn't know that was possible either i mean couldn't you like it like sugars sugars in a lot of stuff but salt is literally like if you're not buying a raw fruit or vegetable and you buying anything that's pre-prepared it probably has salt in it yes. and probably a lot yes it yeah and even the fruit like it vegetables. doesn't it doesn't even taste right to eat something without salt you you know unless it's like an apple you know what i mean you can't put salt on the apple but you know people even put salt on watermelon yeah true tomatoes sprinkle a little salt eat a tomato we'll be right back after this footage from our new year's celebration y'all uh hope you enjoy you all enjoyed the footage isn't this your last podcast though here in the u.s that's the other thing i wanted to say i know yeah i'm getting ready to travel by the time you guys see this i'll already be back in africa and uh you know eating a saltless diet (laughs) not exactly (laughs) yeah no no salt just Mm -hmm, (laughs) maji but yeah we i'll be back in africa so probably the next one you see after this uh, will be coming from Africa. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you from there. We miss you already. I uh, miss you too already. <laughs> miss you, but uh, not sad to be leaving. Sorry. Uh, so 
I hope to at least broadcast one time from my uh, office in um, in Africa and uh, in uh, Bobo Jalasso, Burkina Faso. Uh, if you don't know about Burkina Faso, look it up. Uh, there's many big things happening as far as a uh, revolution. We've been talking about revolution. They're really doing it over there in Africa. Keep a lookout for the... Keep your eyes on what's happening in Africa. I think the most recent one was in Gabon. Mm -hmm. Is it, was Did that happen after Niger or before? After. After. Kind of recently after. And somehow uh, it's a totally different response than Niger. They just... Y'all can have it. <laughs> they not <laughs> trying to put sanctions and all of that like they are in Niger. So I, I don't know what the difference is. Uh, why they're treating it differently, but uh, hey, good for them. They they uh, they let them have it. They taking it, and you know, let's hope that doesn't mean that uh, it's just another uh, puppet, <coughs> another puppet of France in Gabon. But we'll see. I think the people, the way the people are taking these uh, situations has been intelligent. You know, because we don't see. I, I think in Africa, people have learned the lesson from all the civil wars. Mm -hmm. And they not doing that anymore. And and I'm happy that uh, at least uh, our, we have learned not to be fighting each other so much in that part of the world. And in the meantime, like and share this podcast. Like and share, <laughs> subscribe, and hit that little ding ding button so that you'll get notifications. That's when... our world. <laughs> uh, so sad. Uh yeah, but no, this is a real this is a real like yes. uh demand that we're making of you right now actually. Uh because in the meantime, we'll keep bringing you content like this and we'll be back with you uh very shortly with the next episode of the Chicago Sunnyside podcast. See you next week. Peace. Life can be so sweet. On the sunny side of the street